0: Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome back Dave Fuller. Dave is the director of education for the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary. And our topic today is going to be to talk a little bit about what boat or education courses there are available to people who are new to boating or who want a refresher as they're getting ready to start the Great Loop. So, before I bring in Dave and we start the conversation, I want to take a moment, as always, to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They're Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Dave Fuller, welcome back
1: uh good good day Uh, glad to be back again
0: yeah and we appreciate you taking the time because i know you're extremely busy these days with your your duties and your passion for what goes on at the coast guard auxiliary so i know you're between uh conferences and we appreciate you taking a little bit of time for us today
1: sure Uh, glad to do it
0: so for those who who don't know you from your extensive cruising or haven't heard you on great loop radio before let's start off if you would just give us a brief overview of your background
1: well, uh, my wife, Nan, Ellen, and I are, are both loopers. Um, we were on the loop back in 2012 through 2014. I uh, did it in uh, in large segments, primarily due to some uh, uh, some personal things here at home, and uh, loved every minute of it. I've, I've been in uh, boating for a, a, a good number of years, and um, right after uh, 9-11, I decided that I wanted to... Be a part of something a little bit bigger, so I joined the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Actually, they recruited me as a watchstander since I'm also a ham radio operator. For those hams out there, my call is uh, K4DMF. But uh, that's how they got me in. Once I got in, I found out that gosh, these folks do a whole lot more than just stand radio watches. And uh, so I've kind of leveraged my corporate background and and worked my way up through the uh, through the ranks. And uh, currently i'm serving as uh, director of education for the coast guard auxiliary i uh, really think that uh, what we're doing is having an impact on the entire recreational boating safety industry and uh, we're out here all trying to make a difference so yeah and
0: and we appreciate all that you do for safe boating and for the industry. And of course, who better than the director of education for the Coast Guard Auxiliary to fill us in a little bit about what education is available for boaters who are looking to uh, beef up their boating resume, so to speak. Um, And we've been getting a lot of questions lately from some of our members um, and some of people who hope to be loopers one day about what education opportunities are available to them. So let's kind of start from the beginning for somebody who's brand new to boating or perhaps who just really wants a good refresher. What's the best place for them to get started with their boating education?
1: Well, well Kim, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but start with the basics and, and take a boating, basic boating safety class. Um, you know, there's some people out there that want to take a, a full-blown captain's license course as a first step, And, and, you know, while some can handle it, this can be overwhelming, uh, to, to others. So my advice would be to start simple and just work your way to more complex and, and more involved. You know, it's interesting. You ask about a refresher, um, you know, even experienced captains tell us that they learn something new, even with our entry level courses is, you know, things change over time. And it may have been a while since they've had their their last opportunity uh, for education. Um, I wanted to point out that there's three primary methods of course delivery that's in use right now in the industry. The first, of course, is the traditional classroom. You know, you have a live in-person instructor or you have multiple instructors with interaction with other students and maybe some hands-on opportunity for teaching aids to be demonstrated. You know, there's, there's time to learn from other students as well as the instructor. And uh, this method of delivery provides perhaps the best opportunity for learning to occur and for later recall. Um, the next method is a class delivered virtually. So thank think Zoom. Um, you know, there are similar advantages to classroom delivery in that you have the live interaction with other students and you have the instructor team, of course, but um, what you give up is you don't have the hands-on opportunity with teaching aids. Um, It still requires a specific day and time to attend the class but does offer the advantage of of taking it from your home without having to commute to the classroom. And then the last method is an online class. These are generally pre-recorded, pre-packaged courses that may or may not have interactive capabilities. The disadvantages include really no ability to ask the instructor no learning from other students, no teaching age, you know, kind of the show and tell part, and no one really to engage uh, with other advices. For example, where's the best places to boat in this area? Are there any local hazardous conditions? Where's the good places to go? So, you know, the biggest advantage to the online courses is that you get to learn on your time and your schedule. And the biggest disadvantage is that the knowledge retention rate for these classes are pretty close to the bottom, especially for those classes that are not interactive. Everyone does learn a little differently and everyone has their preference. Now my personal preference, I'm an old school kind of guy and I like to stand and deliver. So my preference in this order is uh, number one, my first preference is classroom instruction. Number two would be virtual and three would be the online pre-recorded canned presentations. But the way I look at it, is that any class is better than no class. So each has their advantages, but if you want the very best experience, classroom delivery with great instructors is pretty hard to beat.
0: Yeah, and I think um, one of the things I love that you mentioned in there, Dave, about the classroom instruction is the local knowledge and the local connections um, with other boaters in your area. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. But, you know, starting from the basics, More and more states every year, it seems, are passing laws that require a basic boating safety course to be able to operate a boat in their state. Um, All of them that I've seen so far do uh, recognize for non-local boaters. So if you're just cruising through on the loop, they will recognize a certificate that you have from your home state as long as it is a NASBLA approved course. So tell us a little bit, you know, that phrase is thrown out a lot. Um, So- explain what a NASBA approved course means for those who have never really come across that before.
1: Okay, really good. Actually, uh, Kim, most states do use the NASBA standard as their benchmark uh, for the state voting requirements uh, of education, where the states that that have laws, um, they they tend to use those those standards. Um, NASBA, everybody wonders, what the heck is that thing? Well, it's The initials, NASBLA, stand for the National Association of State Voting Law Administrators. Those folks are the legal authority person at the state level who is in charge of enforcing the various state laws, and of course, they also influence their state legislatures, did I say that right, legislators, to pass those laws.
0: (laughs) I always get that one confused, too.
1: So uh, NASBLA has done a pretty good job over the years of positioning itself as a liaison between the states, and uh, they try to bring standardization to the extent that's possible. They do set the national standards for course content, course delivery, training standards, and a whole long list of other accomplishments to help prescribe national standards the states can adopt as their own. But and this is a very big but. Each state sets their own requirements. NASBLA sets their standards based on industry standards such as ANSI, for those of you in the, in the engineering, that's American National Standards Institute. So they're, they're, they're using a, a, a common uh, thread uh, so that everybody's singing from the same song sheet. While it's true that many states do mirror one another in their laws. Of course, some take their own path and require certain things that other states do not. And, you know, I don't want to get into that today, Kim, because we don't have three hours to uh, to go over that list. It It's pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. But here's the bottom line. The takeaway message here is if a course that you're looking at displays the NASBLA logo, that means that that particular course meets those minimum requirements for content and delivery. It is important to note that all courses by course providers, like the auxiliary and and other course providers, have to be re-qualified every three years to make sure it continues to meet that standard. NASBLA courses are generally recognized with reciprocity between the states for those boaters who only temporarily boat in those waters. Now, if you're a resident, you may need to take a specific state course, and this varies widely by state. So you'll have to check with your individual state, whether or not, uh, as a, if you're boating in your home waters, whether they require that. Some states do. So lately there's, there's been some discussion in the, in the forums, I've kind of been following them lately, about courses and NASBLA requirements. And I just came back from an industry conference in Washington, D.C., which was the International Boating and Water Safety Summit, and uh, several of the uh, state boating law administrators were there in attendance. And actually, I asked this question of several of them that were there. But interestingly, and I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus and certainly not going to name names, there were only a couple of them who would directly answer my question. And Those that answered it uh, answered it because there was a state statute controlling who needs their state specific course. So I'm going to read a little bit between the lines here and I'm going to draw my own conclusion that as long as someone has taken a NASBLA course somewhere, uh, these state voting law administrators are okay with it unless a state law says something different. So um we've never had uh, an issue as long as I've been in the business uh with reciprocity between states and uh NASBIL has done a very good job of of maintaining that reciprocity. So if anybody's worried about that, I'd say uh, put put it uh, put your your worries to rest. But do check with your own individual states if you're if you're boating in those waters um for uh, uh, any p- period of time.
0: Yeah, so, that that's great advice. Um because the home state could have specific rules, um, but you absolutely need that um, NASBLA approved course now to do the great loop and and be in line with all of the regulations as you're passing through certain states. So we certainly recommend that. Um, Dave, the Coast Guard Auxiliary, Auxiliary, of course, does have a NASBLA approved basic boating safety course. So um, as you're navigating the Coast Guard Auxiliary site, you know, what's, what is the Coast Guard's course that meets that standard? And if you know anything, um, you know, the United States Power Squadron, which is now known as American, America's Boating Club, is also a, lo- a resource um, like the Coast Guard Auxiliary that has many local chapters that can offer the face-to-face classes. So, you know, what should someone be looking for? What's the course name for your classes that cover the NASBLA standards?
1: Well, Kim, um, all of the national course providers have at least one course. That meets the requirements. Now, in the auxiliary, we actually have two of them. Uh, one of them is our our standard course, which most of our flotillas teach, and that's called Boat America. Um, it has it's it's a national course that uh, is the same in all states, and then we have individual state supplements that cover the state specific requirements for that particular state. We also have a longer course. <clears throat> um, that takes uh, quite a few more hours um, to, uh, to get that one in. It's called boating skills and seamanship. And I think we're on our 15th or 16th. I'd have to look it up. I've lost track. We've had so many of them. We're, we're up to like the 15th or 16th edition of that one now. And it's a much more inclusive. um, I personally, I like to teach it because it's, it has a lot more content in it. And uh, we have more, uh, more satisfaction when people take that. We do have a lot of other courses and seminars, but those two are um, our certificate course. Mm-hmm.
0: So, tell us a little bit more. You did men- mention that one was more extensive, which requires more hours. Um, but to, to, is there a NASBLA standard, or what should people expect when they're taking, you know, the, the basic course? And of course, we do recommend going beyond that. But when taking the basic course, how many hours should they expect? Are there testing requirements? You know, give us some of. of Expectation setting for people who are going to go seek one of those courses.
1: Sure, sure. Um, actually, uh, we just had a conversation uh, with with the folks in New York uh, just this last week um, with uh, with course content and, and timing. Uh, the state of New York is actually advertising a uh, a course right now that they claim you can get through it in three hours. Uh, I questioned it because it has the NASBA uh, logo on it. Uh, and to get all the NASBA uh, material in to your course, you really can't do that in less than five or six hours. And I think that's really speeding it up, um, pretty much, but, um, typically the, the standard courses run generally about eight hours, roughly, including, uh, testing time and so forth. Our, I mentioned the um, the, um, boating skills and seamanship, uh, if, if our Flotillas teach all 13 lessons of that. It's 26 hours. So you can see it's got quite a bit more content, much much more instructions. Um, as to testing requirements, one of the NASBA standards is all certificate courses must have a closed book end of course exam. And depending on the state you're in, the passing score is either 75 or 80%. Most of them are 75%, but there's a couple of them that are 80. So Here's the, you know, if you pay attention in class, you're going to pass. It's, it's really rare to get a failure unless somebody is just not paying attention. Uh, the test is pretty easy. It's not, not that difficult. Um, as far as class schedules, uh, and you'll find this all course providers, they, they set, uh, they're set by each individual local. In our case, a flotilla and the power squadrons case, uh, they call them local squadrons, and now they're kind of going over to the clubs. Um, I'll get to that here in just a minute. But to find out about Coast Guard Auxiliary courses, simply go to C-G-A-U-X, that's C-G-A-U-X, Coast Guard and in the left-hand column, click on Take a Boating Safety Class. That will take you to a course description page that tells you all about which courses are available and it has a link on there to the course finder. So the course finder, um, you get into that, you can what distance you're willing to travel, uh, stick your zip code in there, and it'll bring up a whole list of available classes close to you. Now I'm gonna throw a, a, a advertisement in for my own flotilla and say, if you can't find one near you, my flotilla does a combination of classroom and virtual classes using Zoom. So if you can't find one near you, we'd be glad to have you join us. Click on Ackworth, Georgia. That's A-C-W-O-R-T-H, Georgia, uh, zip code 30101, and we'll take care of you. We'll get you in our class if you can't find one near you. Um, the The course finder has all the details, the contact person, the days, the times, the location, class fees, registration, everything you need to do it's all in the class finder once you find the class that you're looking for.
0: That's great information, Dave. This is a great place to take a quick break. I'll play a message from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what's available to you if you want to go beyond that basic level that's required. So we'll be back in a moment. Life is better by the Bay. Here in Panama City, Florida, we have deep blue water surrounded by arts and culture. We love our historic neighborhoods, southern coastal cuisine, and the songs and stories of our locals. And we're sure you will, too. If you're traveling along America's Great Loop, drop your anchor at St. Andrews Bay in Panama City and enjoy easy access to waterfront restaurants and shopping, a favorite among loopers. Land or water, you're going to love it here. Visit DestinationPanamaCity.com and learn more. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Dave Fuller. Dave is the current director of education with the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, and he Mm -hmm. is filling us in on the different uh, opportunities to get some boating education through his organization and some others. And we've talked about the basics that are required by certain states along the loop. Um, So we certainly recommend that any looper who is getting ready to leave look into the rules for their home state, try to take a NASBLA-approved course for their home state, and that will then be recognized um, reciprocity with other states. So that should cover you for the loop. Um, But Dave, what we certainly recommend is, particularly if you don't have a lot of voting experience before you leave for the loop, to get some training and and to get some education. So tell us a little bit about what opportunities exist beyond that basic NASBLA-approved course.
1: Yeah, okay, thanks, Kim. Yeah, the, there's a lot of course providers out there. Um, I don't know, probably somewhere on the order of maybe 50 total, if you don't include the states, just, uh, just other providers. Um, most of them have advanced educational opportunities. I'll give you a good example. The U.S. Power Squadrons have a, has an entry-level course that's very similar uh, to my Boat America course, and theirs is called America's Boating Course 3rd Edition. Um, going beyond that, they have a series of educational opportunities um, you know, that go from basic to really highly advanced navigation. I'm, what I'm talking here is navigation by sextant. If somebody wants to learn how to navigate by sextant, the Power Squadron's got a class for you. Um, they, uh, they also offer like electrical systems, engine systems, weather, communications, uh, a whole list of specialty courses and seminars. Um, there are multiple captain's license courses that are available commercially from all kinds of different providers, and pretty much all of them guarantee you'll pass the test and get your credentials, um, assuming, of course, you can obtain your uh, transportation worker ID card, which is part of the process. There's a lot of, you know, that <clears throat> some people that, that take those captain's license courses do it for educational value, and of course, some wish to use that credential to to make a buck or two. And those are, of course, personal choices uh, each person has to make if you're willing to to pay the fees for the class. Um, In the auxiliary, we offer something that nobody else can offer uh, in our advanced courses. Um, Our members can choose to enter the boat crew training program and be qualified as boat crew using the training standards and material developed in accordance with commandant's instruction and this is the same standard used to train active duty Coast Guard members for crew on their boats. The next level up for auxiliarist after boat crew is the coxswain rating, and that's the leader and the person in charge of the boat. Um, This requires a great deal more classroom and on-the-water skills training and has many of the same components of a a commercial captain's license. Um, Obtaining the coxswain qualification, generally takes about two years to complete depending on your location of course the folks in florida they have that year-round season there so they can get it done a little sooner but uh, our members have to study the material they have to pass a written test and then they have to demonstrate mastery of each of the required on water skills to uh, earn the qualification and then they have to requalify every three years uh, while a qualifications examiner usually it's an active duty uh, bosun's mate Um, is running the checklist uh, for demonstrated tasks so our qualified members have to maintain a minimum hours annually and attend all the workshops and additional training and this training is essentially the same training that the active duty uses to qualify their crews so by becoming crew or coxswain qualified you've been trained to u.s coast guard standards for their crews and of course to avail yourself of this you uh you do have to be a member of the auxiliary to take the training, which is all part, you know, of the membership. And uh, of course it's free.
0: So that's, that's a great option. And, and I actually was not aware of that either. I didn't know that you could go that far with the training in the Coast Guard auxiliary and that it was free with your membership. So that's, that's pretty some intense training and sounds like it'd be really useful. How well does that skill set? if you're kind of being trained, um, in the same way that active duty coast guard is trained how well does that translate to a recreational person like a looper you know obviously it's going to be useful skills um but t- tell us a little bit about what the differences they might find in piloting and crewing their own recreational vessel versus what the training might be for an active duty coast guard person
1: well actually the skill set is pretty much identical um mm-hmm. you know you you have to know all of the navigational uh, issues you uh certainly have pounded into your head from day one and multiple times every time you go out on the water, something we call situational awareness. And what we know from the accident statistics, Kim, is the number one reason that accidents occur, uh, is failure to keep a, a proper lookout failure to have situational awareness. And, uh, we hammer that into our people, uh, from the very day that they pick up the book and start studying, uh, pay attention to what's going on around, you know, what's going on around you and take whatever action you have to take. You know, the nav rules even addresses that. And they say, even if you got to break one of these rules to avoid a collision, avoid a collision. And um, so we pound that in pretty, pretty early and it uh, it translates over very well to the recreational voters.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, beyond boating safely, I think that situational awareness also speaks to um, boating etiquette, because uh, as as we're out here cruising, you know, we do see some boats that are not really following the rules of the road. And in some situations, maybe that's not horribly dangerous in certain places, um, but it still kind of shows that you're perhaps a novice boater and, you know, perhaps not being completely um, well following the rules of the road. And it, it's it's people notice that. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's just useful when you're flying that AGLCA burgee to understand the safety aspect, but also the rules of the road. So, um, you know, we can keep people seeing that burgee and thinking, well, there's an experienced boat or there's somebody who cares about boating and the other boats on the waterway. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm hopeful people will get from the classes or are the full gamut of how to boat? You know, most places don't require a license like they do to drive. Um, the boating safety courses for for most experienced boaters are extremely easy to pass. But as you said, they still learn things. So I'm really hopeful that um, people getting ready for the loop will um, make use of these tools available to them. And beyond that, we we did touch a little bit upon um, the social and community aspect of the auxiliary as well as America's Boating Club. Um, so talk a little bit more, if you would about that? Because it's not just classes, it's a connection to other boaters of all different experience levels in your area.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the auxiliary is, and I'm going to be a little biased here, and I'm going to say that we're, we're a premier volunteer service. And we engage in a lot of missions, not just in support of the Coast Guard, but also in support of the recreational boating community. Um, you know, when we're under Coast Guard ordered missions, such as patrols, and then when traveling for schools and training, uh, the Coast Guard does reimburse our expenses. But, of course, we're not a paid service, so we don't make any money off of this. Uh, recreational boating safety is job number one for the auxiliary. And that's made up of education, which is my my responsibility. And then we have vessel examinations. You know, we do free uh, vessel safety checks on on uh, vessels and, uh, and help. Uh, boaters comply with the legal requirements and then give them a little bit of advice. And then we have a community outreach division that uh, helps get our message out. You know, when uh, when we perform the patrols, it's important to note that we do not have law enforcement authority. Congress specifically prohibited us from having law enforcement authority. But we do have a pretty large and diverse membership that have life skills that are very high value to the Coast Guard. And a couple of examples uh, that have really uh, come online in the past couple of years, we have um, uh, some ministers. We have clergy support uh, helping support the Coasties. Uh, We have financial planners who help the Coasties uh, with financial advice. Uh, Food service folks that work in the galleries, uh, you know, that work in the galleys. And, of course, that's always a favorite of the local station crews. Somebody come in and cook for them. Um, our radio watch standers, which is how I joined the auxiliary and how, why I joined the auxiliary, they go in and relieve active duty member and, and uh, stand radio watches. So when you're calling the Coast Guard on the radio, it's entirely possible you're talking to an auxiliarist. Um, we have pilots who fly their own aircraft on Coast Guard missions, uh, sometimes first light searches, sometimes ferrying admirals around. Uh, We have doctors, we have nurses, we have dentists providing direct medical support for Coasties. Uh, Some of our members are even qualified to teach active duty classes. And some are attached to the Leadership Development Center at the Coast Guard Academy. Um, Those folks are teaching our next generation of Coast Guard officers effective leadership skills. So, you know, we've got a lot of things that we do. We have a lot of missions and we ask our members when they join us, to pick at least one of those to support. Um, I personally took on several of them and uh, uh, decided that uh, education was probably where I wanted to be. So I, I moved along that path. And yeah. um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that you can do with the auxiliary.
0: Yeah. And, and please, um, thanks to you and please um, extend our appreciation to your fellow volunteers for all of the hours that are put into making boating safer and more pleasurable for the recreational vessels out there and for all you're doing to support the Coast Guard. So um, if you've inspired some to become involved, is there a, a, and this may differ by flotilla, but how often do the flotillas locally tend to meet and how can somebody find a a local flotilla?
1: Well, generally flotillas meet uh, in general once a month. And of course, with COVID the last couple of years, that's put, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of different time schedule on them. But like our flotilla has, has hybrid meetings where some people that feel comfortable come in person and the rest of them join by Zoom. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you find a local one? It's pretty easy. You just go to the main webpage, which is C G A U I X. Let me start over. C-G-A-U-X dot org as for Coast Guard Auxiliary org. And then on the horizontal navigational bar across the top, there's a a little button up there that says, join us. And that'll take you to the Flotilla Finder.
0: Okay, that is great information. I I really do hope you've inspired many to take some classes, but also many to join you and the Coast Guard Auxiliary and the missions that you're supporting. So Dave Fuller, thanks for joining us once again. It's always insightful. And and thank you again for all you're doing for Boater Education.
1: Thanks, Kim. Glad to be here.
0: And to everyone who's joined us today, uh, thank you for once again being with Great Loop Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising.